Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Audiobook Connection, behind the scenes with the creative teams. I'm Becky Parker-Geist, and I'm your host. Audiobook Connection is your place to learn about the audiobook creative process in discussions between the authors, narrators, producers, and post-production teams that bring them all together, as well as guests who have listened to the audiobooks and have questions for the creative teams. This podcast is sponsored by Pro Audio Voices, helping great stories come alive through audiobook production and marketing. Hi, everyone. Today, I have with me Rebecca L. Fraser, author, educator, and multimedia artist. She's an award-winning social entrepreneur and former journalist, and she's published one nonfiction book about climate change, A Farmer's Guide to Climate Disruption, that she recorded herself, and then four novels under her pen name, Tara Elroy. The contemporary romance novels she publishes as Tara Elroy feature environmental justice themes and older biracial heroines like herself. Rebecca, welcome. Thank you so much, Becky. It's great to be here. Yeah, so I I thought it might be fun to just start at the beginning in terms of what got you started on your author journey. It's a funny story. I had studied screenwriting in college. I spent 10 years writing screenplays. And and nothing sold, although they did get read by all the major studios. But there was this one script that I wrote, and it was inspired by the love story that my uncle and his wife shared. And the screenplay, miraculously, it actually got some like honorable mention or something in some competitions. It was not a good screenplay. And eventually I just lost interest completely in screenwriting. I was involved in other artistic endeavors at the time. And I picked up a book about, gosh, it's called Wired for Story by Lisa Crone. Yeah. And it's about the neuroscience of how our brains process stories. And I was reading it because I was a freelance writer, not only a journalist, but I was also serving some nonprofit organizations. And I just thought it would help me serve my clients better. Mm. But as I was reading it, the characters, and they came to me as characters, not as these family members, Mm. the characters from that screenplay started popping up in my brain. Like, you need to tell our story. You should write our story as a novel. You'll have so much more freedom this way. Uh, Uh, Because screenplays are very, the structure is very set. They wouldn't leave me alone. And and so I decided to give it a try. So that was 2015. I wrote every day for, I think it was 30 minutes. And I finished the first draft in like three months. It was very short. And I, I really had no set goal for what it needed to be or anything, but it became clear that it was at least a novella. And I went 
to Grub Street Writers in Boston and took a class on revising the skeletal first draft. Uh-huh. And I just kept going. And a few years later, after querying without success, I decided to self-publish. That novel, was that your first sort of publishing project? That was my first publishing project, which is probably, it's called The Orderly. And it's set during the Vietnam War era on an orderly on the psychiatric ward at Tewksbury State Hospital. Ah. In love with patient uh-huh. who is basically healthy, but has had a breakdown because she's experienced some horrible traumas. Cool. And so did you enjoy writing as a kid? You started, you told her your story from college on. I'm just curious if yeah, when that. <laughs> I never, I didn't enjoy writing. I enjoyed storytelling. So one of my early memories, I was like six years old and I had been reading for a while. I was an early reader. But so now here I am six years old. I'm sitting on the living room floor with a tape recorder and a piece of paper. I do not know if this story had characters. I don't. <laughs> I remember nothing other than recording the thunderstorm saying, and there was a, a big thunderstorm. And I was shaking the paper <laughs> over the tape recorder to make the boom sound, which yeah. I wouldn't do much, but I, <laughs> I thought it did. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. And I just I loved it. I had so much fun doing that. But it's funny, I don't have many other memories from childhood of trying to write or trying to create. I mean, I did record a lot of things, especially with my friends, but I don't know that they were stories so much. And then Mm -hmm. as I got older, I watched my mom who had studied playwriting and we struggled financially. So the last Mm -hmm. thing in the world I wanted to be was a writer. Yeah. Because writing meant poverty in my mind. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I haven't forgot. I haven't thought of this in a while. But you reminded me of when I was a kid. I was maybe in fifth grade, and my best friend and I. She'd gotten a tape recorder. It was a reel to reel. We did. We made up radio shows with our own commercials and everything. We had such a blast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really fun. And now I had been thinking because when I first met you. You came to us with your nonfiction title. So I had the impression that was the first book, but you went from writing novels to writing nonfiction. So tell me about how that transition happened. Well, I was actually doing both simultaneously, but because I was a journalist when I was writing that novel. And as a journalist, one of my beats was agriculture. I wrote for two farming magazines that were published by the same company. And one of those magazines, after writing their seed science column for many years, I had been interviewing scientists around the country at that point. And and I was hearing over and over again, that they were concerned about climate change and they were concerned about food security and the ability of farmers to continue growing food in the changing climate. I pitched the idea to my editor of a monthly column focused on climate change and he loved it. So we ran with it as soon as I started working on it. 
I thought, oh God, what did I get myself into? <laughs> it's not a, a huge topic. It's yeah. there's so many tentacles. And it was overwhelming. So I just thought, okay, I'm gonna have to find a way to break this down. So I did it. I found a way to break it down. I interviewed scientists all over the world and wrote this column. I think it ran for two years before the magazine folded. And both magazines folded at once. And mm. by this point, so they folded in December of 2017 officially, but we got word in October. Mm-hmm. And it was maybe three months prior to that. I was trying to arrange interviews with some USDA scientists. Yeah, I had never had an issue doing this. I mean, I'd been interviewing folks from the USDA for 10 years, no problems. Yeah. yeah. All of a sudden, I was getting the runaround. I was having appointments made and then canceled. Just people weren't responding to emails. And finally, a woman from the press office at USDA called me and said, I am so sorry. I just feel that I owe you an explanation. Our scientists are no longer allowed to speak on the topic of climate change under this administration. And they're pissed, but they want their jobs. And the administration is taking names. So if you would like to speak to anyone about new flower varieties, I'm happy to set you up with those people. But they cannot discuss climate change with you. Yeah. So that happened. Then both magazines folded. And at first I thought, well, at least farmers will still have the information on the websites. But then the websites shut down. It's a real shutdown on on truth and science. Yeah. So I realized that I felt I had an obligation to put this information out in print and make it available. And and so that became a farmer's guide to climate disruption. I compiled all of the columns that I had written for the magazine. I also added some new information. Wow. <laughs> I, I Thunderstorm. Yeah. Yeah. But disconcerting. I also added some new information from interviews that had not, they were scheduled to be published in 2018. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they never made it. So I added those to the book. And and then I wove everything together. I repackaged it so it was in certain sections that I thought made sense. And I added in introductions to each section based on new information or, or information that I just hadn't published yet. And then the very, I think it's the last chapter in this book... Let's double check. Wait, it's either the last chapter or the second to last chapter features an interview. It's chapter 25, the post-carbon farming system in practice. And that is based on an interview that I conducted with Jack Algira of Stone Barns Center for Food and Agriculture in Terrytown, New York. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most inspiring interviews I've conducted with a scientist or a, or really with anyone actually he's just brilliant intersectional the way he thinks about things connects art and farming and music and farming and 
So anyway, I actually pulled from those interviews and allowed that to inspire a large portion of my first romance novel, or not my first romance novel, but the first book in my Love and Disaster trilogy. Yeah. So it what I, I did actually write a romance novel before that called For the Birds. That was features two wildlife biologists. And that was also taken from a screenplay. So I thought, well, this was a good, it was a decent script. Uh-huh. And I could work with it and turn it into a novel. And it has an environmental theme and these two characters. And that's great. But but then the Love and Disaster trilogy is where I really started hitting it, I think. So clearly you have, you are, you have an intention to make an impact with your writing and a mm-hmm. consistent impact, it seems. So you, would you like to talk more about, maybe more directly about the impact that you would like to have with your writing? Sure. And also this has changed in recent months because mm-hmm. when I started writing romance novels with environmental themes, I was very focused on shedding light on environmental issues and just hammering the message home that climate change is real, that we need to be concerned about this. This summer, I think it may have, I may have been influenced by the wildfire smoke that was drifting down here from Canada. I, I came to the conclusion that at this point, anyone who is on the fence about whether or not climate change is happening, yeah. that's not someone I'm going to reach. Yeah. And it's not worth my effort. But the people who are hungry for information and need it are those of us who actually care right. whether we are just recognizing that this is an issue and we care and want to do something or whether we've been long-term environmentalists. Yeah, What people have right now is a lot of fear and a lot of confusion and there's a lot of greenwashing out there. What people need is a path. They need a way forward and they need hope. And romance, the proud history of romance is a literature of hope as well as a literature that provides commentary on social issues. And this is going all the way back to Jane Austen. And sure, there are those books that maybe that's harder to find But definitely more modern romance authors are moving in this direction. So I am shedding a light on environmental issues as well as providing solutions and an action plan. So I'm providing the stepping stones. I don't have a complete action plan, but at this point, I have interviewed enough scientists and I've done enough research to be able to present more than what people have. And I'm actually realizing that I, it would probably be helpful if I put up a page on my, on my website or sent out a newsletter or something that is a little bit didactic on that point. Are you concerned? Here are things that you need, intend things that you need to stop doing. Yeah. And things that you can push where you can push policy or right to companies and things like that. Yeah. One thing that comes to mind is you're talking about writing romance and also having an agenda of education and hope. 
is about because something that's so important to me is that is our relationship with the natural world, with our planet, with the earth, with the soil and the plants. And we've been for so many years, we've been trained to treat everything else as objects that they're we don't recognize that we're actually in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that comes to mind as you're talking about writing romance, that really, I, I think in some ways, one of the things that would be a tremendous help would be if we could all fall in love with our planet again, fall Seriously. in love with the trees so that we really honor them and treat them with the kind of love and respect that we want back in a relationship. And I think this is actually one of the areas where you and I connected when we met, however many years ago that was, right? Yeah. Where we both have this love. Yeah. Also, part of that is that people need to fall in love with themselves. Yeah. Because there's so many systems in play. And this yeah. is part of the reason that I write biracial heroines. My biracial heroines represent what's possible when we stopped succumbing to the fictions that are designed to separate and oppress us. Yes. And when you have a person who has a healthy sense of self-love, that person cannot be oppressed. Mm -hmm. They may be harmed. Right. They may mm -hmm. be broken, physically wounded, but they will not be oppressed. Yeah. And that's huge. That is huge. Yeah. And as you said, where we've been treating things like objects, it's this colonizer mindset. Yeah. Which is really, it's the two-year-old mindset. Have you mm -hmm. ever heard that thing about two-year-olds? If I see it, it's mine. If I can touch it, it's mine. <laughs> if it's mine, if it's yours, it's mine. If it is, it's mine. If it's hers, it's mine. Like that, there's this joke about two-year-olds. But yeah. that's what, that's like the colonizer view. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, mm -hmm. oh, I discovered this land and now it's mine. Well, right. I, look at everything <laughs> who was living here before. Right. <laughs> you didn't discover a damn thing. But yeah. so there's that situation going on. But also the reason yeah. that self-love matters so much in the environmental movement is if we can respect ourselves and care about our health, and our own healing, mm -hmm. then we're not going to treat the systems that actually help us stay healthy like garbage. Right. You and I, we could go out and fall in love with trees and that's beautiful, but most people, I don't think, are doing yeah. that. And yeah. starting, but can they recognize that those trees are giving them clean air? And yes. if you move to a place where there are not a lot of trees, there's a really cool website. I think it's just treeequity.org hmm. where you can see tree equity in all these different neighborhoods around the country and the areas where tree equity is lower. In other words, fewer trees per whatever, however we measure it. Yeah. Rates of asthma are higher mm -hmm. and other lung diseases like just that alone. That's powerful. Yeah. 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 People, the energy bills are higher. 
because they mm-hmm. need to spend more heating and cooling. Right. Mm-hmm. The trees provide a buffer from wind, from intense sunlight, from all sorts of things. And there are other, and, and also I think mental health is better in higher tree equity neighborhoods. Yeah. Cause people are not getting as overheated. Mm. And more and more news is coming out about extreme heat affecting mm. mental health. Looking at trees in that way. Yeah. And then yeah. think about water and think about the number of plastic kills. I just, I want a t-shirt that says this. I mean, plastic <laughs> kills in every possible way. The mm. manufacturing of it pollutes everything around it. People who live near plastic manufacturing companies, and this is Cancer Alley that's been in the news. People who live near those areas have high levels of toxic metals and other toxins in their bodies. They have chronic disabling illness. Some of those illnesses kill them. Some of them just ruin their lives. How I can't live knowing that, oh, I had to buy this cute plastic toy Many people are suffering because I thought that cute plastic toy was great for this kid I know. They're wooden toys. You know what I mean? I don't need plastic cups. There's glass, there's bamboo, there's metal, there's whatever else. So it's these, and then, so that's just the manufacturing of it. But then we have all these little microplastics in the water. And okay, so you think, well, I don't really care about swimming in the ocean, so I'm not bothered. Okay, but do you eat fish? Right. Because if you eat fish, then you're eating that plastic. Yeah. It just ripples out in so many different ways. Yes. Let's just take a short pause and then we'll come right back. We're going to talk a little bit more about your audiobook. Right. Frustrated by the royalty rates for your audiobook? Annoyed that when the digital distributors say 70%, they actually mean 70% of 50% or 80% of 70%, neither of which is an actual 70%. Wishing there was a way to earn more from each sale? Pro Audio Voices hears you. Out of our commitment to our author clients, we've created Amplify Audiobooks, a program that provides an actual 65% royalties of the sales price you set, that gives you access to your customers' names and emails so you can reconnect with them and build your community and following and keeps you in the driver's seat. Create coupon codes or schedule a sale with promotional pricing. Amplify Audiobooks gives you the tools to effectively market your audiobooks and a much higher return on every single purchase. Check it out at ProAudioVoices.com or go direct to ProAudioVoices.app. And for listeners, visit AmplifyAudiobooks.com to find your next great listen. The Amplify Audiobooks app is now available on both app stores. Rebecca, you wrote the book, A Farmer's Guide to Climate Disruption, that we talked about where you gathered all of those columns that you had written and provided a tremendous resource for farmers. And... And I, when we met, we talked about the recording process and you were the narrator for your own audiobook. Tell us a little bit about what that was like for you. On the one hand, it was very empowering. And this was like dream come true because I love to read. 
I love to read my work. I love to read it aloud and share it with people. I, especially with a project that I believe in as much as I believed in that book, still believe in that book, I, it was delightful and empowering to be able to bring it to new audiences through the audio format. Also, I'm an audiobook listener. Every day I'm listening to something. I love to sit down with a book or with my, with an ebook, but also that requires a different level of engagement and commitment that I can't always afford. So an audiobook is great. And to be able to provide that for others is just, yeah, I was excited about that. Yeah. Do you, uh, what would you say was the, like the hardest thing about the process for you? The hardest thing was that I did not have access to a studio. And part of it was this was the early days of COVID. So everything was shut down. So I ended up recording in a closet. Actually, I divided time between two different closets. (laughs) And neither one had really good ventilation. Mm -hmm. So I just got super tired when I was reading and I hear those books and I can hear how tired I am. I hope that other people who don't know me just hear it like, oh, she's so relaxed. (laughs) But I was just really like struggling to bring the energy to it that I would have liked to. Yeah. Do you plan to, so you have all these novels, do you plan to record those as well? We don't know. I would love for them to be audiobooks. And if, you know, the thing I do need, I need like instruction. I need someone there saying, hey, you sound like you're falling asleep or you need to hit this harder or whatever. So if I could do it with that kind of support and guidance and also just, I don't have the best equipment Mm -hmm. and it's, and I have come to realize that as much as I would like to be savvy and understand all the things, I really don't. And (laughs) so if I could go to a studio that had all this stuff and good ventilation so Uh that I'm falling asleep and then someone there to direct me, then yes, I would do that. However, I have also had the pleasure of hearing at an event, a professional narrator read just a few pages of one of my books aloud. And that was really cool. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm not into the idea of reading my own books. Yeah. Narrating. Yeah. 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 And I just want to highlight some of what you said, because many of our listeners are authors who, many of whom may be considering narrating their own. And so I just want to take a moment to let them reflect on what you just expressed in terms of how helpful it is to, first of all, how important it is to have good equipment and space if you're going to do it at home. And then also the support to have a director in the process is so valuable. And all of those things are possible. Reaching out to a a company like ours, Pro Audio Voices or another company, but knowing that that may be of help to you so you can get it. Yeah. And then now you also, we turned your audiobook into a podcast as mm-hmm. well. And not everyone is doing that. So I, and I thought it was a really great fit for what you were trying to do, the impact that you are trying to have and to make and getting this, getting this content out and available. What would you like to tell us about your podcast? What for you, what drove that decision? Well, you had 
made that offer, that this was something you could do. And so I just thought there were a few reasons why I jumped at the opportunity. One is as an author, any vehicle for getting my work out to new readers or listeners is that's a chance that I want to jump on. So one, it was a new vehicle for getting the work to the people who needed it. Yeah. Um, two, it was that particular vehicle where it's coming out every week in segments. I think that offers people a nice way to consume a little bit at a time and then digest it and then come back the next week. It also, I was hoping that it would be a way to generate money. I did get some sponsorship for that, which was wonderful. And uh, so it did generate a little bit of money. And because obviously people are not paying to listen to the podcast. Right. Uh, yeah, it just seemed to me like, and since we were recording the material anyway, the only thing new that I had to record was like the intros and outros. And I chose to create some music for it. And that that wasn't hard at all. Yeah. 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 Great. And you've been able to reach, I know just from looking at the reports, you've been able to reach a lot of people Which through that so podcast. Cool. I know you sent <laughs> numbers and I was like totally surprised by that and thrilled. Yeah. 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 And it's ongoing. A lot of those numbers were for 2023, even though the book was recorded and the podcast was posted I guess it was, I know it was early pandemic. Now I can't remember exactly when we did it, but it was maybe 2020 or 20. Yeah. yeah. It might have been, it was 2020. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's life is continuing in many different ways, which is really great. Yeah. I still do get email requests from um, publicists asking, oh. I will take so-and-so on the Climate Smart Farming Show. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and I delete them. <laughs> <laughs> not producing it anymore. <laughs> like yeah. they should do that. <laughs> yeah, maybe, who knows? Maybe you'll change that at some point. Yeah. So what are you working on now? Well, right now I'm working on a couple of projects. I'm editing the third book in my Love and Disaster trilogy. This is the cover for it. Um, and for those called- who are just listening, you want to say their title there? Yeah, it's Hope, Love and Disaster Book 3. So I'm editing that and and then I'll be sending it off to the copy editor. So it's not just me editing it, but I do need to do a run through with it. Let's see. And then I'm also, I've been in an MFA program. I'm in my last semester. So I'm doing final polishes on my thesis novel and submitting that this week and querying agents because Although I've been self-publishing thus far and I've created an imprint to do that, I also would love to work with a traditional publisher, get their partnership and support in the publishing process, and then hopefully have a hybrid career where I'm doing some traditional and some indie. Yeah. And there are a lot of great small publishers out there now that are doing some really wonderful work with authors. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Where can our listeners best follow you and your work and learn more about what you're up to? Sure. So I have two link trees, one for each name. And uh, at each link tree, it has the links to everything. You can go to link 
tr.ee slash Rebecca L. Fraser. And the spelling on that is a little tricky. So hopefully you'll have the, the link. Yes, <laughs> we'll put it in the description. <laughs> and the, Tara also has a link tree. So it's again, link tr.ee slash Tara, T-A-R-A, the letter L, and then R-O-I. So that leads to my website, to my newsletter, to social media, all the things, even. Great, great. Well, I am so pleased to be able to be in your realm and be supporting the work that you're doing because the impact that you're having and intending to have is something that's very meaningful to me. So I want to just thank you personally for the work that you're doing. Thank you, Becky. That means a lot. It really touches my heart. And and thank you for everything that you do to support authors and and for the books, which I'm excited to read. They're on my TBR, the books that you too are writing. <laughs> well, thank um, you. Yeah. yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for being with me. This is uh, Rebecca L. Fraser, author, educator, media artist. So thank you so much for being with me. It's a pleasure. Take care, Becky. Thanks for joining us for Audiobook Connection, behind the scenes with the creative teams. Please take a moment to subscribe at audiobookconnection.com. The podcast is sponsored by Pro Audio Voices, helping great stories come alive through audiobook production and marketing. Learn more at proaudiovoices.com. Again, thanks for being with us, and please join us next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.